0: Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. All right, it's 8 o'clock, so we're going to go go ahead and get started. Uh, This will be the first time that I've done one of these Facebook Lives in quite some time. Therefore, while I was doing quite a few and just uh, life gets busy and... um, I just wasn't able to keep up with it, so I decided I'd start back again today. So, uh, welcome. I'm going to try to do these uh, every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, and I would encourage you to attend if it's something that you're blessed by, and invite those uh, that you know that may be blessed by it as well to be a part of it. Um, I'm going to begin tweaking it as best I can. I'm starting out pretty simple, which is Facebook Live. And then, of course, I'll download the video and um, I'll put it on uh, YouTube as well, and then share it with my other uh, discussion boards uh, and ministry uh, pages. So um, I'm also on my page, so not sure how it all works, but if you're here and you're watching, I would just encourage you to uh, say hello. but uh, what I want to do is eventually I want to go into the book of Acts. Acts is the book that I have really been studying a lot lately, probably for more than a year, probably a year and a half. Um, but I want to share a little bit of background on how I ended up on this journey uh, through the book of Acts. And for those of you that have known me for years, um, obviously you can tell that... Um, Something has changed just a little bit. And I'm going to, you know, first talk a little bit about how that change came about um, with you. And uh, then either this session or next session, we'll actually start seeing that as we work our way uh, through the book of Acts together. Um, About a year ago, I did a study... Uh, called Fundamentals of Bible Interpretation. Um, as many of you know, I've I've taught the Bible for many years. Um, I I was a young Marine uh, in Okinawa, Japan, when I felt the Lord calling me into uh, vocational ministry. Um, that would have been eighty eight. Um, I immediately enrolled in, in Bible college and started taking online courses and just reading and studying as much as I could. And then in February of 1990, I, uh, I uh, messed up my knee pretty bad uh, and ended up getting uh, out of the military, um, which was kind of the end of a lifelong dream. I, I really thought I would be... Career military, I loved what I did, um, but um, I mean, the Lord, I think, just I know, He wanted me to go out, get out, and and study the Word of God. So I got out and um, went into uh, Bible college back home in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, it was Tabernacle Baptist College, which is where I was I was raised, uh, and um, began studying the Bible and uh, I continued to do that and then after or even before I graduated I I started working on staff at a church uh, by by vocationally while I was in school also working a full-time job and um, and then I believed that the Lord was calling me to the mission field so I left my assistant pastor position, worship leader. Uh, it was at a church called Calvary Chapel in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, now, bear in mind, I was raised in a, if you know anything about Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina, it's a very independent, fundamental Baptist church. Um, very conservative Um actually went to school there for a while in, in elementary. Um, and then, you know, I went into the military, you know, and then came back and I was on staff at this Calvary Chapel, which is not quite an independent fundamental Baptist. Uh, they get accused of being um, um because they kind <clears> of, <throat> you know, some would say it's a healthy balance uh, between... Um, Baptist doctrine and, uh, I guess, Pentecostal doctrine. Um, So as you can imagine, you know, sitting in a a class um, in a background that was completely very conservative, independent Baptist, and yet being part of leadership of church, you know, of course, probably the biggest difference between those two is that most... Independent baptist reject uh, they're what you would call cessationist. Uh, they don't believe that any of the gifts are available for today. They ceased. Most would say at the canonization of the Bible, uh, which we're going to talk about a little bit as we go, and you know, and then of course being on staff at a church that fully believed that all those things were indeed available for today. So, you know, of course I studied those things. Um, I personally have never um, been a part of uh, that when you say the sign gifts. Um, uh, not that I didn't want to be, not that I didn't uh, desire to be, but um, the Lord just never gave that to me. Um, and uh, so you can see the, I guess, perplexity that I have between the two. Love, have a profound love for both. Um left there and went to Guatemala, started a uh, a little church in Teculaton um, called Capilla Cavario, which is Calvary Chapel, and then uh, left there and went back into the Baptist world. I uh, I took a church in uh, San Manino, Texas, which is in the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas, which was a Southern Baptist church. Now Southern Baptist, or at least this one, was was very different than independent Baptist that I was raised in and I ended up pastoring that church for 10 years um in um 2009 um I left that church and I went back back into Calvary Chapel and um took a position um hey Les how you doing brother um I took a position at the Calvary Chapel Bible College in uh Lima, Peru, where I served as Assistant Director of English Studies and taught classes. I taught genesis um, uh, Genesis, John, Acts, and Revelation, uh, which are the probably four most pivotal books, I believe, in the Bible. And um, Les, let me know you can hear me. Uh, just let me know, just say something. Um, anyway, I served down there uh, for a little over four years. Actually, I was on at the Bible College for about two years because they moved it. They moved it 18 hours north uh, to Lima, to Cajamarca, Peru, which was uh, quite a ways away from where Lima was. 18 hours, actually, by by, by, uh, by ground. And um, so, I was offered a position as a chaplain uh, at, at an international Christian school, and um, I stayed there for another two years. Uh, It was at that point that I returned to the United States and went on staff at Liberty University. And at Liberty, um, I went into, uh, um, I was assistant director of academic advising when I left, uh, involved in the hiring and the training of the advisors. Um, So my wife and I have been in Lynchburg, Virginia now for, Going on seven years, I guess I left Peru in 2013. Um, so, um, but anyway, during that time, I've still stayed in ministry. I I, I probably speak once, sometimes twice a month at local churches uh, here in the Central Virginia area. Um, I have the privilege of being able to share in some men's conferences uh, throughout the year as well. Uh, here and there, predominantly with uh, Calvary Chapels. Um, so you know, I've got a foot in both worlds as far as uh, you know, just the Baptist world and Calvary Chapel world. And and again, they're a lot alike. Um, if uh, if you just sat in their services and just didn't see any branding, uh, you really wouldn't be able to tell them apart, for the most part. Um, but anyway, I, I live here in Lynchburg now and uh, I work full time for the Network of International Christian Schools as a, uh, a recruiter, so I travel a lot, but normally I'm I'm at home on the weekends. So I've determined that I'm going to go ahead and start doing a Sunday morning Bible study at 8 o'clock. Uh, I figure that's early enough for most of you that are involved in other churches so that you can actually plug in and be a part of it if you want to be. Um, Of course, they'll be permanently placed there, as as well as up on the YouTube channel for those who'd like to watch later. Um, But anyway, this past year and a half, I've really just been digging into, uh, first I did a study called Fundamentals of Bible Interpretation, and it challenged me, um, because I see a lot of inconsistency um, in the way the Bible is interpreted, okay? Okay um and as i did that study and as i presented that study to the bible study that i do every sunday night with some college students it really changed me uh, forever in a lot of ways and i just want to share with you how it changed me because what i see in the church today is a very inconsistent approach to the interpretation of the bible Um, there's two lenses through which um, we interpret the scriptures. There's only two. (laughs) There's actually three. But the third one is the result of mashing the other two together. Um, You're either going to interpret the scriptures through a spiritual lens, uh, which is basically... Um, you're going to allegorize, you're going to spiritualize everything that was said in the scripture, uh, which is more so the covenant um, way of interpreting scripture, covenant theology, which you would know probably is reformed, or that's where we get, Calvinism is also a part of that, for the most part. Not all, I, I know some that kind of Go over. I got my own convictions about that, but um, and then you have what's called a dispensational lens. In other words, these these are filters, the way we see Scripture. So if you were raised in a Presbyterian, Catholic, Episcopalian, you know, uh, liturgical type, Orthodox, uh, Protestant, or Catholic church, you're definitely coming at the Scripture through an Augustinian, and I'll explain that. Scripture, a spiritual interpretation of scripture. Uh, You see uh, the Bible through the lens of covenants. Uh, That's where you get the word covenant theology. Um, If not, the other side of that would be dispensational theology, uh, which is God um, was talking to a different group at a different time that doesn't apply to you. So that's where I land. But I, again, all of this started to get challenged as i did this study called fundamentals bible interpretation and then it led me into a study of of both covenant and dispensational theology and so i'm just going to share a little bit of that journey it may take one or two lessons we'll see and you're welcome to follow along and um and i'm just going to show you uh how how i got where i am that's what i'm gonna do so got that less (laughs) um the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> in verse number 19. If you want you can turn there. 2 Peter one, nineteen through 20. We have also. A more sure word. Of prophecy. Whereinto ye do well. That you take heed. As into a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn. And the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first. That No. Prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, notice what that says. Now, when it when it says no prophecy of Scripture is subject to private interpretation, um, that means it only it only says what it says, and it can't say two different things. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, well, that's just your interpretation. Um, Well, let's look at the verse. It says, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. So it's not about what I believe it says or what you believe it says. It's a matter of what does it say. And most of us, our knowledge of the Bible is pretty much limited to the teachers that we're sitting under. Um, so if we're sitting under, you know, someone that has a covenant persuasion, then that's going to be our take on scripture. Again, it's a filter, it's a lens, it's been given to us. Um, but, uh, so many today struggle, especially in our culture that denies absolute truth. You know, we live in a culture where, well, that's your truth. Um, no, there's, there's, <laughs> there's only one truth, um, so the Bible means what it means, and it says what it says, period. And that's the way that we have to see it. Um, not a very popular idea for sure. However, when it comes to biblical interpretation, we can both be wrong. But but we can't really both be right. <laughs> you know? I mean, <clears throat> either the, the, the covenant way of translating scripture or interpreting scripture is correct or it's not either the dispensational view of the scripture is correct or it's not or there's some other way that we don't know about you know but it only has one interpretation and as bible students our job is to see which which how should it be interpreted because ultimately any kind of t- most of the preaching today is what I call applicational preaching and what that means is that preachers just read the verse and then they immediately apply it to our lives today that's not bible teaching (laughs) okay it's not teaching the bible uh it's just using the bible as a springboard to say what you want to say um in order to accurately divide the scripture in order to accurately apply the scripture you must first interpret the scripture in other words, you need to determine what was being said, who was being said to, and what did they understand. Or what did they, what, did they under, what and what was understood by the hearers. That is the interpretation. That's the interpretation. And then from that, then you can make a proper application. But like I said, most of our preaching today is a bad interpretation that leads to a bad application of the scriptures. Uh, So, I suggest to you today that the main reason, again, for incorrect Bible interpretation, uh, other than just sheer ignorance, and there's a lot of that going around, um, is a desire to twist the scriptures to mean something they simply do not say. Um, We twist it to fit what we want it to say. Um, but it's inconsistent. And when, when you fail to adhere to the fundamentals of biblical interpretation, you're going to end up out in left field. You're going to make it say something it doesn't say. The Bible, <clears throat> you're going to hear me use this word quite a bit, must be rightly divided in order for it to make sense and never contradict. That's the first principle of biblical interpretation. The Bible must be rightly divided in order for it to make sense, and never contradict. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy <clears throat> chapter 2, first, verse number 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the very fact that Paul said, rightly divide, presupposes that there are divisions in the Bible. Um, and they must be proper, properly recognized, or, at best, they won't make any sense, or, at worst, they, there will appear to be contradictions in the text. So, there's no private interpretation. It means what it means. And, and and as Bible students, our desire should be to determine what does it mean. What is the interpretation? It doesn't matter what those around us say. and Yes, we respect them. We love them. But what does it say? And we need to prove that on our own. You know, I tell young people all the time, you not only need to know what you believe, but you need to know why why you believe it. Um and most people don't know that. Today when you when you talk to people and you ask them about the Bible, they just parakeet to you what they were taught. And that's why when hard times come, so many of them fall away. You know, I, I look on Facebook and I see just absolute train wrecks of students or people that I served with or, or uh former congregants that attended my church. Uh, their, their lives are absolute train wrecks because they were not grounded in the Word of God. Uh, I can't live on what you believe. As much as I love you, I, it has to be anchored in my soul. I have to know that I know that I know. John said, I write these things that ye may know. We need to know, and that, that is an, an experiential knowledge. I know because I know, because I've studied it. I know it for myself. It's my truth. You know, it's not just your truth. I can't live on your truth. And you can't live on my truth. Of course, there's only one truth, but we need to find that truth individually uh, in order for us to be anchored in our walks and our faith with the Lord. One example, you know, where it comes to mind. Um, When we talk about rightly dividing, and again, that presupposes that there are divisions in Scripture. Um, You know, the law of the kingdom. Um, And again, I'm I'm going to I'm going to work this out because I I know a lot of you. uh, You know, I know last year the only one watching right now, but I know your background, and you're going to be challenged by this. Okay. Um, And that's fine, because if you're not challenged, you're not growing. A faith untested is no faith at all. Um, For example, when you read the law of the kingdom uh, in Matthew uh, chapter number 5, you know in Matthew chapter number 5, he starts out, you know, and he says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We call this the Beatitudes, it's actually the law of the kingdom you have a jewish messiah here or a jewish man who has birthrights to the throne of israel through david and he is giving the law of the kingdom here in matthew chapter number five now the law of the kingdom wasn't part of the mosaic law Um, but it's a, it's, a law, it's a new law of a kingdom that Christ was coming to exclusively, and listen to my words, exclusively offer to the nation of Israel. He is speaking to Jews about a Jewish kingdom. Um, so for us to take that and pull that out of context, Now, yeah, you can make some application, no doubt. I mean, God wants us to be, you know, he wants us to mourn. You know, he wants us to be meek. He wants us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. But the bottom line, the interpretation is that this is a Jewish Messiah offering a Jewish kingdom to a Jewish people. I'm not Jew. Okay. And secondly, I wasn't there. Okay. Um... And this same kingdom was what Jesus, John the Baptist, and the Apostles proclaimed throughout their earthly ministries. They always taught the kingdom. Um, Why? Because that was what was supposed to have happened. As I tell Bible students, that's what woulda, coulda, shoulda happened but didn't, okay um, so this is the message that they and the apostles proclaimed uh, or, or that Christ, John the Baptist and the apostles proclaimed throughout their entire earthly ministries um, now sadly in the end it was rejected and God did something different and that's where you and I come in which is the church, the body of Christ um, It was, you know, the kingdom was postponed. In other words, it was legitimately offered and it was legitimately rejected. And the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the Gentile church of made both of Jew and Gentile now, was born. Um, So therein lies the confusion Which leads to all kinds of wild interpretations, various heretical doctrines, and the cause of untold denominations. Now, you and I are not under the law of Moses. We never have been, and we never will be. Uh, Neither was the rejected and postponed kingdom ever offered to us. It was never offered to The Gentiles. It is not a Gentile kingdom. It never will be a Gentile kingdom. Um, At this point, especially at this point, uh, we have no part in the kingdom that these guys spoke of in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and I would even suggest into the book of Acts. Uh, We don't have a part of it. We are not in it. We are not building it, yet how many times do we hear things like, we are a kingdom church, we are building the kingdom, we are enlarging the kingdom, we are bringing in the kingdom, we are doing kingdom work, etc., etc. Why? A failure to understand that the kingdom was not offered to the church. It was offered to the nation of Israel. Rightly dividing. Um, I mean, think about the things. Now, you remember John the Baptist came in the wilderness preaching what? Repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First words out of his mouth in his public ministry. Repent, be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came, first words out of his mouth, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then you get over to Matthew chapter number 10 when Christ sends out his apostles. What does he tell them to preach? Repentance, baptism for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They all preach the same message. Okay, The kingdom is at hand. It's not here, but it's close. That's what they were teaching. And and when we fail to recognize that, we introduce confusion into the church. I mean, think about the things that are taught today in regards to losing one's salvation. Where are the proof texts for that? Gospels. How about the need to stay faithful until the end that you might be saved? Gospels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Baptism is a requirement for salvation. Gospels. Um, you got to work to be saved. Gospel. The Gospels. Um, The church is now Israel. You know, all of the promises that was made to the nation of Israel has now been given to us. The Gospels. They, that's called replacement theology. Um, amillennialism. And even post-millennialism. All comes by identifying the church as Israel taking the promises that was given to the descendants of Abraham, the physical descendants of Abraham, and placing them on us. Because all of these doctrines come out of the Gospels. And again, the Gospels were about a Jewish Messiah that came to a Jewish people to proclaim that a Jewish kingdom was at hand. So do you see the problem? It's not rightly dividing the word of God now no I have not always understood these things so clearly and many around me may disagree Uh, however I believe that a failure to understand this stuff leads to a misinterpretation and a contradiction so again the first thing that you have to understand if you're going to rightly divide if you're going to correctly interpret the scriptures is that it must be divided correctly in order for it to make sense and never contradict. You can't take what was told to someone else. There's a, there's a saying. It might have been written for you, but it was not written to you. You understand that? It might have been, it might have been written for you, but it wasn't written to you. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that was written to the nation of Israel, by the apostles who were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And I'll get into this a little bit later, but there's a big difference between the gospel of the kingdom that the apostles taught and the gospel of grace that we teach. You see, the gospel of the kingdom required repentance and baptism. The gospel of grace does not. Because repentance and baptism are basically works. We're saved by faith through grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. The apostle Paul never said, repent and be baptized, but believe and thou shalt be saved. Um, So again, you and I are not under the Mosaic law and the kingdom, which was introduced in Matthew, was not an offer to us. And I'm going to get into how we got in the spot we're in later. Because today, in the church, everybody's talking about we're in the kingdom, we're building the kingdom, we're part of the kingdom, we're praying for the kingdom. We pray the the kingdom prayer, the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we are not rightly dividing the scripture. So hold on. (laughs) Another thing in regards to interpreting the Bible, and this is my journey, take it for what it's worth is to remember the distinctiveness of Paul. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Period. (laughs) Okay? The apostles, the others, were, were to the nation of Israel. Exclusively to the nation of Israel. Sure, God gave them some glimpses, like Peter with Cornelius, who was a Gentile. But Peter immediately turned around and said, get baptized. Peter was preaching a gospel of the kingdom. And I'm gonna talk about that. We're gonna we're gonna walk through that. But I'm I'm planting bugs, and what's gonna happen is everything I plan is gonna is gonna make you ask another question. Okay, and I promise you, once you start going down this road, it's gonna be awesome. Okay. So Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. It was to Paul that the mystery of the church was revealed. That mystery was not revealed to the apostles of Christ. They were to the twelve, counting Judas, and then, of course, he was replaced by Matthias. The gospel of the mystery, or the gospel of grace, was exclusively revealed to Paul. And if you will start reading through the book of Acts, you will see that the first seven chapters is all Jewish. And then they killed Stephen and God raised up Paul and Paul was sent to the Gentiles. And it takes a dramatic turn. The first part is all about Peter and the church at Jerusalem. The second part is all about Paul and the church at Antioch. Why? Because the book of Acts has to be viewed as a transitional book. There's a transition taking place in the book of Acts from the gospel of the kingdom under the 12 to the gospel of grace as given by the Apostle Paul. There's a transition and we're going to look at that transition and we're going to work through that transition over the next weeks and months and years or however how many times it takes for me to get through the book of Acts. As such, the Pauline epistles, the Pauline epistles are of utmost importance to the church in the Pauline epistles of Romans through Philemon because they are addressing the dispensation of grace or the church. Uh, We must understand that Jesus and his apostles ministered to the house of Israel with a message of an offered kingdom if the nation would collectively Repent. It had to be all or nothing. It was a collective repentance. The nation had to repent. It was a national repentance that had to take place. It was not contingent upon individual repentance, but national. There were at least 5,000 Jews, maybe 8,000, depending on how you interpret the response to Peter's second sermon that we know of that repented in the book of acts in acts 241 um, it says then they gladly received his word and were baptized and the same day there were added unto them 3000 souls so 3000 out of the entire the hundreds of thousands of Jews that were in Jerusalem for for Pentecost Passover, repented, only 3,000. And then when you get over to Acts chapter 4, his second uh, message, how be it many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. So that could be 5 plus 3, which equals 8,000. Or it could be a total of five, a two, and now there's three more. So, either way, we're looking at, you know, five to eight thousand Israelites repented at the preaching of Peter since the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost and thereafter. Uh, But the nation never did repent of this they rejected the king the offer of the kingdom therefore the kingdom was postponed it was postponed and it will not be offered again until now put your thinking hats on daniel 70th week is what starts the tribulation period and at that point this gospel will be preached until the ends of the earth and then the end will come okay um So the gospel of the kingdom is no longer being taught today. It ended with the rejection, the national rejection of the kingdom and its king. And it will not be taught again until the clock starts ticking. Daniel chapter 9 verse number 27 Uh, And he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he'll cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading abominations, he will make it desolate until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So again, the clock stopped ticking according to Daniel's prophecy when they rejected their Messiah. Okay, so 69 weeks of Daniel 70th, 70th weeks or 70 weeks was fulfilled until the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah and the clock stopped. And now you and I are not living in the kingdom. The kingdom was rejected. You and I are living under the mediator. We are living under, uh, under the headship of Christ in his body, the church. But one day the church is going to be taken out of the way in the rapture. And then God is once again going to deal with the nation of Israel and complete Daniel's 70th week. So, so you're beginning to grasp the importance of rightly dividing. It makes all the difference in the world. Um, another thing that many fail to see is that the New Testament does not start with Matthew chapter 1. Okay, listen to me. Even though in your Bible, in my Bible, there's this little page between Malachi and Matthew that says New Testament or New Covenant. Um, It's wrong. It shouldn't have been placed there. Um, But unfortunately, because that page is there, people say, well, we're under the New Covenant. We're not under the Old Covenant. Well... I mean, we'll get into this later, but covenants aren't for the Gentiles. Never have been, never will be. We receive the blessings of the covenants, but the covenants are made with the nation of Israel, not with us. As a matter of fact, if you had to move that little page that says New Testament between Malachi and Matthew, you would have to move it to the end of the Gospels at the very least to when the Messiah was crucified and his resurrection took place um, and let me share what I'm, I'm I'm showing I'm telling you look in Hebrews 9 and verse number um, 15 Hebrews 915. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. Who's the mediator of the New Testament? Jesus Christ. He's the mediator of the New Testament. How? By means of his death. Okay? So he is the mediator of the New Testament by means of his death. Why? For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First testament. So, Jesus is the mediator of the New Testament. Why? So that the sins that were committed under the Old Testament could be remitted. In other words, he had to die first for the sins that were committed under the Old Testament to be remitted. Now, remember, in the Old Testament, sins were not 100% completely atoned for they were only temporarily atoned for. Because the sacrifices were made with animals and goats and whatever, it wasn't a perfect atonement. But it was a temporary atonement. Now the word atonement, at one the way that people in the Old Testament were made at one with God was to have their sins temporarily covered Until the perfect sacrifice would come. And who was that? That was Jesus. When Jesus came, (coughs) the whole book of Hebrews talks about how we do not have to go to a high priest anymore. We don't have to make sacrifices anymore. Why? Because the ultimate sacrifice has been made. So under the Old Testament, those sins had to be permanently atoned for and the only way they could be permanently atoned was with the sacrificial death of jesus christ on the cross that had to happen jesus christ had to go to the cross um bless you Les. you have a good one bro um so let's keep reading in verse sixteen, or verse fifteen, and for this cause he is the mediator of the new testament. How, by means of his death, why, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of inter- eternal inheritance. Now, you and I wasn't under that. You know, you and I were not under the Old Testament. So that's not talking to us. It's talking to the Jews who were under the First Testament who were keeping the Mosaic Law for their sins to be completely remitted. In verse 16, For where a testament is, there must of necessity be the death of a testator. In other words, for the testament to be set up, the testator had to die. He wasn't dead between Malachi and Matthew 1. Um... In verse 17, For a testament is of force only after men are dead. In other words, the testament could not have been legitimately offered until after the testator was dead. And the testator was Jesus. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood and you can just keep reading there but in other words there can be no testament without the death of the one making it now remember that our last will and testament will be read when after we are dead okay the testament if i if i write my last will and testament i say upon my demise everything that i own will go to my children Well, as long as I'm alive, that's not enforced. I have to die in order for that testament to be enforced. I am the testator. I'm the testator. I have to die in order for the testament to be enforced. So that means that all of the Gospels, listen to me, are Old Testament. (laughs) All of the Gospels are Old Testament. The New Testament could not have begun until at least Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, when Christ died. And that's the very tail end of, of Matthew. So to rightly interpret the Bible is to understand this. Do not be tempted as so many, including myself at one time, to pull the teachings of the gospels into the church. If you do, you will end up with confusion, just as we have discussed. You will end up with doctrines like losing your salvation, staying faithful to the end, you gotta repent, you gotta be baptized. You're gonna end up, if you pull in all that stuff, you're going to be confused so with that said the epistles of Paul are of supreme importance to you and me today they alone, listen to me they alone are where the church gets its doctrine the church gets no doctrine from Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and I would contend and we'll we'll, we'll study this together so just stay glued to your seat, don't spin off on me here That includes the first seven chapters of Acts. Again, it wasn't written to us. It might have been written for us, but the kingdom was still on the table. It wasn't until the kingdom was rejected or postponed that God raised up the Apostle Paul. And of course, the teachings of Paul shed tremendous light on the Old Testament by revealing things that we would otherwise have no way of knowing without them. Let's see, I've been going for 48 minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and stop there. But I encourage you, next time we get together, we're going to talk about how Paul's gospel was different. It was different. It was not repent and be baptized. Now, admittedly, when Paul came to know the Lord in Acts chapter 9, it's all he knew. It's all he knew. But at some point... God revealed the mystery to Paul. And he was a changed man. And Paul no longer preached the gospel of the kingdom. But he preached the gospel of grace. So what I want you guys to do this week is study. Take the filter. (laughs) And take the filters off. Read the gospels. Just read one. Read, read read a gospel, and then continue reading into the book of Acts, bearing in mind that the New Testament could not have been offered the New Covenant. That, that word "testament" causes confusion, but but they mean the same thing. The New Covenant should, could not have been offered until after the death of the testator, which would have been at the end of the Gospels, the resurrection. Going into Acts. And we'll talk about the rest later. But I encourage you, I have a lot of resources online if you just want to keep studying. If you go to, of course, my Directional Ministries Facebook page, there's a lot of information there. Um, you can go to dwaynespearman.org. Um, a lot of information there. I've got a couple of things that I've written on uh, Back to Antioch. Uh, we hear people saying all the time, "We got to get back to Jerusalem." No, the Jerusalem Church was Jewish. You need to go back to Antioch, where they were first called Christians. Paul was sent out from Antioch, um, and then I did a study on more than one church. The body of Christ is not the only church. There was the church in the wilderness. There was the church in the Gospels. You know, um, so I've got a study on more than one church. And then another one on, more than one gospel. Oh, that's heresy. No. The gospel of the kingdom, baptism, remission of sins, is very different from the gospel of grace. Uh, And there's even an everlasting gospel, and there is a glorious gospel, and there is a false gospel that Paul spoke to the Galatians about. And we'll talk about those things if you hang in there and you just study with me. And if I can help you, I'll go back and forth with you on Facebook. If it gets too private, just message me and we'll talk. God bless you guys. Always remember that God loves you and he wants the best for you. And he's working all things out for your good. Thank you for being with me today.